We recorded this podcast prior to the passing of Billy Moore. Our thoughts are with her friends and loved ones. Women's basketball trailblazer Anita Ortega joins host Natalie Hovren to talk about how she got started playing basketball, her time in the WBL, her law enforcement career, and what she's doing now, including officiating college basketball. Locked on women's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Natalie Heverin, and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Anita Ortega started playing basketball, her time at UCLA and in the WBL, as well as her career in the LAPD and what she's learned along the way. So when and why did you start playing basketball? When and why? Well, when, oh my gosh, that was decades and decades ago. You weren't even born, Natalie. Um, I was about 14 years old. And at that time, there wasn't a big push for women to be involved in sports. I know my parents didn't push it. I didn't see girls playing uh, basketball or baseball. I just didn't see a lot of that. So um, I grew up in a very, very poor area and our opportunities were extremely limited, right? Um, didn't have access to swimming pools, didn't have access to tennis courts. And I was just, I was really intrigued by, by basketball. I mean, that was available to me. I thought I had the athleticism to, to do that. And um, I started playing when I was 14. And it's, uh, it's been the most remarkable thing ever, Natalie. I, I, I've been very blessed. And you alluded to this a little bit, but what did Title IX mean to you? Title, Title IX, and Title IX really, it changed my, my perspective and, and my mission in life. Um, Title IX, as we know it, and as we talk about it, it pretty much leveled the playing field. It gave women an opportunity to get involved in sports, um, to have the same um, equipment, the same opportunities as our male counterparts, and gave us that recognition that, that we deserve for so many years. And it's still growing. It's still, in my mind, Title IX still has a long ways to go. And there's been evidence of that. But we're moving in the right direction. But this started back in, what, 1974? I mean, how long does it take to get it right? So we're still working in that direction. But um, it was one of the best things that ever happened, uh, not only to women's sports, but I think it also impacted other areas uh, of my life as well. And can you talk about that a little bit? Um, what other areas uh, it impacted for you? Sure, sure. Um, being a female involved in sports, I, I think what it does, first, let me say this. Let me preface it by saying this. I think every child should compete in athletics because athletics has given me or gave me the confidence, the self-esteem, uh, the positivity, the fearlessness, the relentless 
that I don't know if I would have had had I not been involved in sports. So with that said, that guided me toward uh, different aspects of my life where I wasn't hesitant, I wasn't nervous, I wasn't afraid, and particularly the career that I chose for 32 years. So that's how it impacted my life. It opened opportunity, it opened doors for me uh, to do things that uh, I assume most women would not do. Yeah. And then why did you choose to go to UCLA? Why did I choose to go to UCLA? Hmm. I could have gone to USC. Well, let's put it this way. I, again, growing up in South Central LA, now I'm not sure if you're familiar with South Central LA. It's, it's a tough community, a tough neighborhood. Um, my mother was born in one of the poorest countries, countries, my gosh, poorest states in the United States, and that's Mississippi. And my father was born in one of the poorest territories in the United States, and that's Puerto Rico. And we never had a whole lot. And I, I, I lived in a, a two-bedroom apartment with my parents and my brother and sister until I was about 19 years old. And I decided that, you know what, I'm going to get away. I need to leave. I can't stand this environment anymore. I need to change. I need to go far, far away to college. And SC, University of Southern California, was probably about a mile or two away from my home where I spent you know, the majority of my life. But I wanted to go far away. So that's why I chose... UCLA. And later learning that UCLA was really about, by freeway, about 25 minutes from my home. But that tells you that I just did not have that exposure to how big this world is. I lived, I felt like I lived in a, a, a three or four mile radius and never got a chance to get outside of that community. So that's why I chose uh, UCLA, and additionally, UCLA was known to have an amazing um, athletic department, particularly in the area of basketball. Uh, I used to hear a lot about John Wooden, and uh, I wanted to go there. Um, and then, you know, skipping forward a little bit, um, but you mentioned living within a three or four mile radius. I know you travel quite a bit now uh, as a referee. So what has that been like having basketball to help take you on that journey um, and help show you the world? It's been, you know, it's just, I love traveling to this day. You know, I love seeing the world. Uh, I just came back, well, not just came back, but I was in Hawaii a few days ago. Um, over the summer, I got a chance to go to Spain, Italy. I, I, I've gone to Thailand. I've gone to, I've just gone amazing places that, uh, something I've always wanted to do as a child. Uh, my parents could never afford to go on vacation, could never afford to travel. And basketball pretty much accentuated that because it gave me, again, an opportunity to see places here in this country that I've never seen before. So I've, I've been very blessed and traveling has, uh, has been remarkable. And that's something I continue to do to this day because of the way, um, um, of what the situation that my parents were in. And then can you take me through your journey um, at UCLA from a walk-on in 1975 to winning a national championship uh, in 1978 and then joining a professional team, uh, being in the position to join a professional team in 1979? Sure, sure. Yes. I keep thinking about how long ago that was. Um, 
Let me say this, Natalie. I always feel, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, everything in my life happened for a reason. Um, I wanted to go to UCLA because, I, again, I thought I was attending a university that was so far away from home and I wouldn't see my family and I could see a different lifestyle and meet different people. Well, I went to UCLA uh, with the intentions of being a physical therapist. And um, once I got to UCLA, I remember walking down Bruin Walk. It's a, a long area, I want to say maybe about a quarter of a mile from the dorms to the actual campus. And I remember seeing a sign posted, tryouts for women's basketball team, because I wasn't recruited. Are you kidding me? Who's going to come to South Central and try to recruit? And probably recruiting wasn't very popular back then, but I didn't have, I didn't know people in the right places to be recognized per se as a, well, I thought I was a pretty decent athlete, right? So I decided to uh, try out for the team. At the time, Ellen Mosier was a coach. Um, when I went to try out, I recognized, man, there are a lot of good female basketball players. Now I played in high school and that was great. But the level of experience and the talent level was so different from the high school players that I used to play with. And playing with the guys really helped prepare me for that. But, um, you know, I got there, I tried out. For the most part, I grew up playing at a, at a, a local recreation center near my home. It's called Toberman Park. I was always the only female. For so many years, um, and the guys, they looked at me as a simple spectator, a fan. I was not a fan. I was not a spectator. I wanted to play. I really wanted to get on the court and play. And finally, at, at one point, they really had no other choice but to allow me to play because they were short a player. And um, that kind of changed my, my relationship with the guys, and it made me a better player. And I learned to I do a lot of things with them. So I took those talents. From high school, my high school coach, Mrs. Pauline Norman, from Toberman Park, all my guys, Hank, Little Man, Junior, all had nicknames. I never knew their real names. I never knew what they did for a living. We all hung out at the park. I took that to UCLA and used those skills to try out for the women's basketball team. And um, I made it. I made it. It was, um, I never, I didn't like the confidence, though. I, I knew I was good. I knew, and I'm not bragging. I just knew that I was pretty talented, right? And um, luckily, there are you know other good players on the team: uh, Beth Moore, Denise Corlett, uh, Ann Myers, Diane Frierson. Uh, I got shoot, I, I can't even think of Sid. Uh, just a lot of outstanding players, and um, we we had a good team. You know, I think my sophomore year we got pretty far in a tournament, was now the tournament, and got knocked out, I believe, I don't remember, maybe Long Beach State. And then my my junior year, that's when we won a national championship. We had a game at Stanford. It must have been like the regionals. I don't know what they called it back then. And we beat Long Beach State um, at a very in a very good game. I think it was an overtime game. And once we won that game, there was no stopping the UCLA women's basketball team. We were destined to win it all in 1978. Um, it was just amazing. I remember playing in what we call the Final Four, what is now the Final Four, I guess. And uh, supposedly the game was gonna be televised. Well, my idea of televised game and their idea of a televised game is totally different. It was more like women's highlights. You know, it wasn't 
the entire 40 minute game like okay again this is just the history of women's basketball and how much has progressed since i started playing right and ucla we had amazing fans um i think that game we had close to 9,000 people at the game which was huge and um it was amazing i mean i i had a great championship game i think i was the leading scorer of that game um but it was fun it was it was just um a blast and you know what you never think about how enjoyable things are until it's done and it's over and you kind of reminisce and like wow what an experience i had so that's how uh, my adventures went at ucla and then my final year my senior year we made it to the final four again um and uh we lost in the semis so you know again to make it to the final four two consecutive years and to win a national championship is amazing to me and to this very day natalie to this very day and i hate this but ucla has not won a women's basketball championship and that's been a long time it's time it's time coming up next we'll discuss ortega's wbl career her decision to go into law enforcement and more today's episode is brought to you by bet online BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis, and yes, they even cover your women's basketball betting needs. I am not a betting person personally, but I love that BetOnline.net offers these options for women's basketball, and it's a very big deal. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. BetOnline.net has it all. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. BetOnline.net is always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. From the WNBA and MLB to NFL, NBA, and NHL, BetOnline.net has got you covered for odds, lines, and games. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today, your biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And then, you know, you go from back-to-back appearances um, to getting drafted by the San Francisco Pioneers. Can you tell me your reaction to getting drafted um, and having an opportunity to play professional women's basketball? Yeah, that was another uh, breathtaker. It, it, it really was. Well, it started, you know, I had a chance to play in a Pan American Games in 1979, representing Puerto Rico. And um, we didn't have a good team. We got our butts kicked all the time. But the experience was wonderful, and I had a chance to to meet my family that I'd never met in my life. Spent a few days with my grandmother, who I'd never met in my life. So when I was like 19, 20 years old, and um, when I I had an opportunity to stay in Puerto Rico and play with their national team, but I I'm more of a homebody, and I wanted to come home. So I I came home, not realizing honestly that I was going to be drafted. Uh, I had heard a little bit about a professional league but did not fully realize it was like intact and ready to go. So when I learned that I was drafted by um, San Francisco Pioneers, uh, I was elated. And the reason why is because I had an opportunity to stay in my home state of California, right? I didn't have to go to New York. I didn't have to go to Houston. I didn't have to go anywhere. So it was just a wonderful experience. And 
I just never thought I would ever have an opportunity to continue playing basketball beyond college. And the only opportunity would be for me to either play overseas, which was around then, or play in Puerto Rico. But I decided, you know, I, if I couldn't play any more basketball, I would just pursue a career and, you know, go on with life. But I was blessed to play something that I really enjoyed. My first year, you know how much my, you know what I made my first year, Natalie? I made $15,000. Who can survive on $15,000 today? Back then it was great. I'm like, I will take it. As long as I don't have to work a nine to five job, I will take that and be extremely happy. I got a $400 signing bonus. Uh, I played my first year at the San Francisco Pioneers. Uh, I played uh, maybe a quarter of the season, my second year at the San Francisco Pioneers. I uh, was traded. I was traded to the Minnesota Phillies um, where I really never got a chance to play because uh, I guess I'm considered uh, a good troublemaker <laughs> if there's a such thing. I just was not happy with the way we were being treated. We had not received any pay. It was just very atrocious, very just terrible it's a terrible situation. I, I had to room with two other, two or three other basketball players. It was just unexceptional, unacceptable rather. And so the one game that we we're getting ready to play, we we're going to play in Chicago and we had to drive in a minivan. We didn't have an airplane. We weren't flying. We had to drive in our minivan from um, Minneapolis to Chicago. We got there made everyone believe we we're going to play the game. And as soon as the national anthem was completed, as soon as the referees went on the court to toss the ball, we decided we were walking off. And that was my last experience with the WBL. Uh, it folded after that, lack of, re lack of resources, lack of money. Uh, but again, you know, we had to take a position for not being treated fairly, you know, um, the NBA, they never have problems with their salary. Why would we have problems with ours? And it, you know, it was a, it was a, a decision that I thought was, was best. And, um, that was my experience in the WBL. Fortunately, I, I had enough resources, financial resources, where I could, where I could take a flight back home and I was able to fly back home and, and I, basketball was in history. It was in history, at least from the professional standpoint. And then you, you went on to coach at UCLA for two years as an assistant coach, and then you decided to go to the police academy. How was that transition, and why did you make that decision uh, to become a police officer? Sure, sure. Um, when I returned um, from playing professionally, uh, Dr. Judith Holland asked me if I'd be interested in coaching at UCLA. At the time, um, Billy Moore was the head coach, and I played two years for Billy Moore. She was still the head coach. And just to get this out there, I know Billy has been going through some medical issues, and I'm going to keep her in my prayers, a Hall of Fame coach. Um, but Billy was a coach at UCLA, and I went there for a couple years uh, as an assistant. Um, it really wasn't for me. Um, I probably should have been the head coach somewhere because our, our our philosophies were different, but that's okay, neither here nor there. And I decided that if coaching was not going to be my, my passion, if it was not going to be my career, I was going to pursue something that I was always interested in. I was interested in law enforcement. When I was in high school, I remember having um, career days 
and someone would come and they would say, hey, you know, they would speak talk you and there was an FBI agent. I'm like, my God, that is what I want to do. I want to be an FBI agent. And so um, I kept that in the back of my mind, but sports kind of took over. I was so involved in sports. I, I, you know, I got a chance to play. I got a chance to play internationally. And I'm just like, wow, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to stay in athletics. But when basketball coaching didn't work out the way I, I wanted to, I got into law enforcement and I decided to apply with the Los Angeles Police Department as well as Pasadena Police Department. But I did choose LAPD because it's a larger agency, um, more opportunity for advancement. And because of my background, uh, not only living in South Central LA, but also because of my uh, athletic background and my experiences. Like I said, I think every child should get a chance to participate in a competitive sport. Uh, the transition from being a female going into a career that was male dominated, even to this day, and of course back then in 1973, um, there just weren't that many in law enforcement. But I made the transition um, quite easily knock on wood quite easily just because of uh, being around guys a lot, playing sports, um, and, and it worked out just great. And we, it was a great fit. It was a great fit for me. And I know we've talked about this um, previously, but what are some of the accomplishments in during your time at the LAPD that you're most proud of? Oh, wow, man. I had a lot of great accomplishments, you know, I mean, both athletically and professionally. I've had a lot of great accomplishments. Um, you know, being um, the first African-American slash Puerto Rican to, to have a command um, where I managed and supervised over 300 people in a, a, a gang-infested, criminal-infested area. Um, and most of my subordinates were, were uh, men and most of them were um, Hispanic, you know, and, it, and I think it, it was that it took a while for them to accept me, which I always found challenging. Every level that I attained in, in law enforcement, you have to prove yourself as a woman. It's, it's crazy. I don't understand it, but it's like you are in a male career. So prove to me, prove to me that you can supervise me as a guy. So I went through that all the time, but I got very, I was very fortunate. Um, things worked out, but to be to be the first area commanding officer in LAPD, which if you equate it to another agency, let's say uh, a smaller agency outside of California, that could easily be a, a chief of police position. So it was a captain position, um, and I was very blessed there. I got a chance to to be over recruitment, you know, be the the commanding officer of recruitment to bring in solid and qualified candidates. To, to work uh, the LAPD. Um, so I just, you know, I, I'm just very blessed. 32 years went by so fast, Natalie. I don't, it just went by super fast because I worked different assignments. I had different positions and, um, you know, I was blessed. Coming up next, we'll discuss Ortega's officiating career, her favorite moment from a game this season and what she's up to now. Today's episode is brought to you by NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. 
what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you'll lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to, stay, to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. And then during this, because you weren't busy enough, you also got into refereeing. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you got into it uh, and what's your favorite part of it? Wow. I've done a lot. I've done a lot of that, Natalie, in my, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, in my years. I've done a lot. Um, so as a young officer, uh, I had, after like four or five years, I had attained the rank of sergeant. I had some free time. I wanted to do something different. Uh, I, I said, well, what can I get involved in? A very dear friend of mine said, Anita, have you ever thought about officiating? And my first, my gut feeling was like, man, who? wants to officiate. That is, I mean, everyone hates officials. Why would I want to do something like that, right? And so um, I took up on the offer. I went to a summer camp, like a weekend camp, and I realized that officiating was just amazing, that it, it offered me the same um, sensation and feeling as an athlete uh, to get up and run down the court and be athletic, which I really enjoy to this very day, clearly. Um, and I just said, okay, I'll do this. This will be something that I can do. I will, you know, make 20, 30 bucks. I can buy gas, put gas in my car. You know, I can go to In-N-Out Burger. I can do something, right, with this extra money. Little did I know that I would be presented with opportunities to work advanced levels of women's basketball. Uh, when I say advanced levels, I mean, I did high school basketball. I did very lower division basketball, but to be able to work Division One basketball and to work some of the premier conferences, the Pac-12, the Western Athletic Conference, the, uh, the WCC. It's been amazing. I just, I never even imagined that. I had no idea that um, me getting into officiating as just uh, a hobby would turn into like an avocation that I really, really enjoy and has been great. Um, and what I enjoy most about officiating is the fact that I still look at it as a way, um, I look at it as a way of me giving back to some a sport that gave so much to me. Now, had it not been for sports and basketball, I don't know what direction my life would have taken, honestly. It was a way for me to escape so many things that I saw as a young kid. And so that's why I officiate. I officiate to this very day. Um, I had an experience recently though that really touched me um, and by the way, Natalie, your article was amazing. I got many, many compliments on your article. I really did. You're an amazing writer. Um, but there was also an article that was written by the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. I think his name is Scott. But uh, he wrote an article that came out recently. And while I was at Stanford, which is in the Bay Area, not far from San Francisco, I was in a locker room with my fellow uh, partners or officials getting ready for the game, you know, talking about what our game plan and what our strategy is. You know, officials do that too, not only coaches. We also discuss what we're going to do in a game. And um, one of Tara Vanderveer, who is the Hall of Fame, 
probably the winningest, winningest coach in women's basketball. One of her um, assistants brought in the article, folded in half, and on top of it was a note from Tara. And the note says, great article, and thank you for being a pioneer. That was probably one of the most touching things that occurred to me this year. And I've had some amazing experiences, but that was just, it, I felt very honored to receive uh, a note from someone who's so huge in women's basketball and has done so much for this game. So that was, that's been my highlight this season. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to tell the stories of you and others uh, from the WBL. And I'm so glad that uh, other outlets are doing that as well. Um, you know, you've received various awards and honors, including being named the 2011 UCLA Latina Alumna of the Year uh, and giving the UCLA commencement speech a few years ago. What have all these awards and honors meant to you over the course of your career? Oh man, Natalie, again, I, I can't even imagine I just never thought this would ever happen. I am just, I am just, I'm still just kind of taken back by the recognition and the honor that I received in athletics, uh, in my career, uh, and to be able to give the commencement speech, oh my gosh, incredible. It was just incredible. A little girl just trying to survive, you know, trying to, to to have a better life than what her parents had and to get all of this in return. Um, I'm just overwhelmed. I have been extremely, extremely blessed. I really have. And then what are you up to now? Oh, let's see. What am I up to now? Hmm. I'm still quite busy. You know, I'm still officiating. In fact, I, I have a game coming up. I, actually, I have like five games. Five games coming up. So officiating is still very big on my list. Um, I'm also into real estate. Um, I'm also a, a crypto enthusiast. And I also own a business. And I have a daughter that, I have a daughter, let's just put it that way. <laughs> that keeps me busy. Retirement, uh, you seem to be doing it all. You know, life is short, Natalie. Don't don't ever stop. If you have a passion, if you you love something, pursue it. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're too old or it's too late. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Be relentless. Be fearless. Go out there and live your best life. Absolutely. Is that the advice uh, you'd give to your younger self, or is there something else you wish you could tell your younger self? That is the advice that I would give to my younger self, but I didn't know what that advice was. I just think things just really just started happening for me. But if I compile it and I think about it, that would be it. Do not quit dreaming. If there's something that you really love, go for it and go for it with all your heart and passion. And don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. That's my word to anyone. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. Tune back in tomorrow for Michelle Smith's interview with Corey Close. Now make Locked On Sports Today your second listen. 
Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders. Locked on Sports Today podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.